Now then, today we're going to celebrate communion as a church family. You've already witnessed a baptism. At the conclusion of the service, we'll celebrate communion. These are two visible, public, community-oriented ordinances that Jesus gave to the church. The biblical pattern is believe in Christ. In the Bible, in the New Testament, people who have the opportunity to do so are always immediately baptized. And then, having identified publicly with Jesus and with the local church, they continue occasionally as a church family to look back to the cross and through communion remember His death that saves us from sin. So we're going to do that at the conclusion uh, of this service. Before that, though, I have, a, I have a really difficult topic to talk to you about. Uh, we don't have uh, time to move through the entire book of Proverbs, so I've sought the Lord's wisdom and, and I believe I've, I've received it to select a few of these wisdom speeches from Proverbs to share with you. This is a topic I'd rather were not necessary, but it is. If you'll look with me in Proverbs chapter 5, you'll begin to see what I mean. Proverbs, please, if you don't have your Bible, you can, or you don't own a Bible, please feel free to use one of ours. It should be in a seat near you. Proverbs, if you're not very familiar with the Bible, is roughly in the center of the Bible. Psalms is right in the middle. Proverbs is the next book over. Here's why I wish this weren't necessary. I wish that the wisdom that is directed to us in Proverbs we're not so desperately needed. We're going to talk specifically about sexual immorality and more specifically about the sin of unfaithfulness, of adultery in marriage. Along the way, I'm going to tell you a few things that I've seen as a pastor, not because those are the authoritative expression of everything that you need to know about the topic, but just to give you an idea from the point of impact when unfaithfulness enters a marriage, things that I've personally seen that I didn't want to see, situations I was invited into, families I came alongside that have made this passage of Proverbs, which is 3,000 years old, come alive for me with an immediacy and an urgency and a, frankly, a heartbreak that tells me that for all the intensity in the language that Solomon used to warn against sexual immorality and unfaithfulness in marriage, even he could only poetically tell us some of the things, give us some of the general headings of the disaster that people invite into their lives when they're unfaithful. You may be tempted to think that the language of Proverbs and the stories that I tell are overly dramatic that he's laying it on too thick, that it's not that bad. May I humbly suggest to you that if you think this passage in God's Word has no real connection to your life, and if you think the dangers, the big red flags that Solomon is frantically waving on the edge of the abyss 
are a bit overdone, may I humbly suggest to you that you've already put your foot on the path of foolishness. The nature of temptation to sin is that it always hides the cost. The wages of sin, Paul wrote to the Romans, is death. That's where sin always leads. And I've seen as a pastor and as a friend and as someone who gets called sometimes to living rooms after a terrible discovery that sin is cruel, it always charges you far more than you knew you had to pay. And that the devil himself and your flesh that is always with you, your innate fallen nature that wants to do your own thing rather than heed the voice of your loving Heavenly Father, they're opportunistic. One of the most sobering passages in the New Testament tells us about the temptation of Jesus, and Jesus successfully met those temptations as He always did, but in this first terrible encounter with Satan himself, the passage says that Satan left him and waited for a more opportune time. He waited for a better opportunity. So if this passage has no immediate relevance to your life, praise God. Be thankful for that. And be mindful that temptation may soon enter your life, and in that moment, all the dynamics of temptation that I'm going to try to describe to you from this passage, at that moment, everything that temptation is will become a living, breathing reality in your life. And your first temptation, your first test will be to forget the wisdom that you're hearing this morning, to think that you know better, that you've figured it out, that these sober, serious warnings do not apply to you, and they do. I'm going to mention to you along the way the writings and the research and the lecture I personally heard for two days from Dave Carter, C-A-R-D-E-R. Pastor Carter is the single greatest expert in any field that I've ever studied with. Beginning from youth ministry to this day, in his old age, he's the head of counseling ministries at Evangelical Free Church in Fullerton. Nobody knows more about the cost of adultery and what it takes to recover from it than this man. The two days I spent in a classroom with him were absolutely astonishing. I couldn't believe his insight. I couldn't believe how clear and practical and authoritative he was. And I'm going to mention some of the things that he has learned through very painful experience of being a sort of spiritual first responder when adultery impacts a family and devastates a man and a woman and begins to reach also into the lives through consequences of their children. I'm going to try to be brief. I'm going to try to point you to the grace of Jesus that can forgive every sin, restore every relationship, but in all of that, don't lose sight of the fact that this message is not for someone else. It's for you. If your marriage has already been victimized by unfaithfulness, I don't mean for a moment to reopen wounds. I don't mean for a moment to drag you through past regrets that Jesus has already covered. I do, however, want to be faithful to the passage. And with the same urgency and the same clarity, I want to talk to you specifically about the dangers of infidelity and the joy of marriage. 
Father, help me do just that as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter 5, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. This then is a passage from a father to a son. This is Solomon getting down on one knee in front of his young child saying, listen, buddy, the legacy of wisdom in our family is, in our family is now going to depend upon you. I'm going to give you truth that you may guard it, that you may keep it, that you may live by it and pass it on to your children. He's going to tell him his very life is at stake. I chose this passage because it's so important to Solomon. In chapters 2 and 5 and 6 and 7, he continually goes back to this one topic. And understand this. For all of his knowledge, Solomon first soon forgot himself the warnings that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write down. Reread in Solomon's life of his old age that the many, many wives and concubines he had brought into his life in disobedience to, his, to God led his heart away from God. So this truth has to be heeded by everyone, and the first thing I need you to know is this. Love will always tell you the truth about sexual sin. Love and God's wisdom loves you enough to tell you the truth about difficult topics that some people would say polite families and polite churches don't talk about. Nonsense. We live in a culture that is absolutely crazed, saturated by sex. Anyone with any other consenting person at practically any other time? So long we're told as no one is hurt, anything goes. And that's the beginning of temptation, that we can know what the best, what good is and who won't get hurt. Love will always tell you the truth about sexual sin. And here is the heart of what Solomon wants to teach his son. The truth about sexual sin is this. No one gets away with it. Adultery hurts everyone. Look at verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. Please understand, this is a father talking to a son, but the truths that he's going to lay out apply to women as well. In fact, Pastor Carter in his research says that, let me make, be precise here, 64% of American women say they would have an affair if they were sure they could get away with it. That's the landscape. So don't be misled that this is a father speaking of a son. Solomon is delivering wisdom and truths that apply to both genders. It's just personalized as a tempting woman because he's speaking to his son. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. That's a terrible and sad description. Here's what you need to know about sexual immoralities, temptation to commit sexual sin, to stray outside of marriage. Here's what I want you to know. The first thing temptation does is blind you to its cost. 
That's always the way it works. Would you purchase anything if they refused to tell you the purchase price? If you needed a new car, somebody told you, listen, this car can cost anywhere from $5 to every cent you ever make. We won't tell you on the front side, but you can rest assured it might be five bucks or it might be your paycheck for the rest of your life. Would you buy it? No. You want to know the cost up front. The nature of sexual immorality, adultery specifically, is the person whose heart has become enmeshed with the forbidden person. They become infatuated. They're blinded to the cost. Carter calls this moment the infatuation explosion. He was very candid with us in a course I took with him two years ago with a bunch of pastors. He said, you guys, your pastors, you'll want to run in there when someone is in the throes of the good days of the affair, and you'll want to warn them and bring them back, and they will always tell you the same thing. And I've had it said to my face by men who once walked very carefully with God, here's what the person who is enmeshed says, I don't care. There's a moment when you become emotionally invested and physically invested in the welfare and in the love of another person where you are completely blinded to the consequences. That's the nature of sin itself. That is especially the nature of sexual sin. And the trouble is, once you've set your feet on this path, no one can predict or control the consequences. There is a cost and you don't know how heavy it will be. Solomon is going to give his son some of the headings of the things that it might cost him. Verse 7, Now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Here are some of the consequences. Lest you give your honor to others. In other words, lest you be shamed and your years to the merciless. In other words, lest it cost you your whole life. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, hear the lament of someone who didn't believe the cost, didn't count the cost, plummeted off the cliff thinking that gravity did not apply to him, he says, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Let me put some actual personal experience feet on that. In dealing with Christians, not people who claim no allegiance to Jesus. In dealing with Christians who have strayed into sexual immorality, some of these things pertain to our church, many pertain to churches I served before in Latin America. I have seen men who were financially prosperous ruined. I can't tell you how many times I've gone from making visits in very nice homes to sad little apartments because the man had been reduced to nothing. One of the godliest men I ever met, and I still count him a dear friend, and I tell his story publicly because it became part of his public testimony in Mexico. 
He got enmeshed with an old flame under the genuine, sincere desire in the beginning to lead her to Christ, not heeding the wisdom that it was not best for him to be that person. He became enmeshed with her. We pleaded with him. We went through the steps of church discipline and correction. Nothing worked. In the final confrontation, he said, and a man who knows the Bible as well as anyone I've ever met in my entire life, he said to my father and to me, I know full well what the Bible says, and I figure I'm man enough to face whatever God wants to give me. Just before his wife gave birth to their last child, he was arrested at a stoplight, accused by his lover of rape, and he spent a year in prison. I got permission to go inside the prison to visit him. He witnessed things that still haunt him. God, by his grace, preserved his life and his physical integrity inside that prison. But he still lives with the consequences, having been fully restored to Jesus and to the church. He still lives with the regret of all that that cost him. And the foolishness was in the infatuation saying what at least a dozen people have said to me when I've warned and pleaded with them to return to their spouses, I don't care. That's the infatuation explosion. And you know it's a real thing because if you're married, you remember a day when it didn't matter what your mom or dad said or how you were going to eat or how you were going to make a living or where you were going to live. This was the one. It didn't matter what it cost. You were going to be with her or with him. Remember those days? That's the kind of bonding that occurs in marriage for life when you invest yourself in the life of someone else beginning almost always with simple friendship and a genuine desire to help, these are the consequences you welcome into your life. There is absolutely no amount of consequences that I haven't at least seen a trace of right up to and including murder. Poverty, embarrassment, the end of many friendships and family gatherings, the public embarrassment that comes when the scorned lover sends a company-wide email saying, let me tell you what your manager's like. Here's a picture. And HR, that's an easy one for HR. They say, listen, man, we're not the morality police, but your behavior's distracting the whole company. Nobody can do their job. You're a big topic of conversation. Everybody's numbers are falling. You're gone. Just like that. You say, well, the consequences won't be that bad for me. Maybe not. Here's the point. The consequences aren't up to you. Once you've started with sin, it doesn't tell you where it's going to take you. And the consequences are no longer under your knowledge or under your control. You can't predict or control them. Let me be very practical. Pastor Carter in what he calls a close call friendship, in other words, this is the kind of friendly relationship that can develop into an affair. He's not talking about the drunken or drugged one night stand. He's talking about what we always think about in terms of an affair, where people grow closer and closer, very often at work, sometimes in the church, 
Here's how deceptive sin is. Proverbs, I just read it to you, says that the woman herself who is leading this man into a path of consequences that neither one of them can predict or control, she herself is deceived. That's the nature of sin. It is deceived and deceiving. And Carter sketches out 18 steps on the way to an affair. If you feel yourself being lured, I want to read these steps on the way to full-blown affair, whether it's merely emotional or physical, that kind of entanglement, he says, barely matters. And I used to say men, and now I'll say, based on research, men and women, understand for many of us, this does never become a reality in actual physical life. But our heart, our energy, our attention, and our mind are divided because of what we're seeing and doing online. Here are 18 steps on the path to those consequences. The person who is headed toward an affair, first of all, saves topics of conversation for their friend. Then they share spousal difficulties. Then their friend shares their relationship difficulties. Then the person anticipates seeing the friend more than the spouse. They compare the spouse to the friend. They provide special treats for the friend. They become more concerned about the friend than the spouse. They fantasize about marriage with the friend. They spend more time alone with their friend than they do with their spouse. They restrict access to their spouse to certain conversations. They spend money without their spouse's awareness. They have conflict with their spouse over the relationship. They lie to spend more time with that friend. They hide interactions with that friend from their spouse. They accuse their spouse of jealousy when the friendship is brought up. They develop special rituals with that friend. They allow sexual content in their conversations, and they participate in business travel or meals or alcohol or entertainment or maybe the same hotel with their friend and engage in what Carter calls corporate dating. Let me be really clear. If you're married and making mental comparisons about your marriage compared to somebody else that doesn't belong with you, your feet are already on that path. If you keep that, your feet on that path, it will lead you only to consequences that are beyond your control. Carter is this categorical. He says, regarding old flames and people you meet online, like Facebook and private messages, he says, if you spend 30 days in secret conversation with this person, if they're the right kind of profile to draw you, if they can take advantage, if their story fits into your story, the deficits in your marriage, your family history, whether there was alcoholism or abuse or a million other factors that the devil and the flesh can use to make you ripe so that in an opportune time you can find yourself doing things that you never imagined and never believed you were capable of, he says 30 days in these private conversations and you'll be making comparisons and having questions about your marriage. In 60 days you'll be looking for ways to sleep together seen it happen. Seen it happen here. Seen it happen everywhere I've ever pastored. One of the laments from Proverbs that we read is the man at the end of his life when he's holding nothing but ashes says, this happened to me when I was in the midst of the assembled congregation. 
In other words, I had my family, my community, I had my worshiping community around me, and in the middle of all that, I was warned and I was told, and I had no time and no use for it, and now I'm on the very brink of ruin. How does that happen? By not heeding and by thinking that you know better. That's the nature of temptation. It makes you think that you are in some way special or clever or sanctified, or strong, or that you can apply some remedy aside from the one God has provided to the situation, and in every instance, every single one of us, including me, is wrong. Did you notice what Solomon told his son to do to resist the adulterous, the adulterous woman? Look through your Bible quickly. What did he tell him to do? Now, verse 7, now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way, what's it say? Far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Why? Because once that entanglement begins, it's incredibly difficult to stop and the consequences aren't up to you. The single provision in Scripture for sexual immorality is always the same in both Testaments. It says specifically this, flee from sexual immorality. That's what Paul wrote the Corinthian church. He told Timothy, a young, apparently single pastor in a difficult, sensual environment in the culture of Ephesus, he said, flee youthful passions. Get yourself out of there. Your only way to safety is to put distance physically and emotionally and in your communication from this person who is starting to entice you. What does that look like? It looks very innocent. Pastor Carter works primarily himself, I believe, with counselors, including pastors who have strayed into sexual immorality and adultery. Ninety percent of the pastors, think about what I'm telling you, ninety percent of people who felt the call of God and who gave their lives, almost all of them seminary graduates, who gave their lives to teach people about Jesus, ninety percent of them say that they found themselves shocked and blindsided by what they'd done. Since this takes so long, since this doesn't happen overnight, since this develops over the period of weeks or months or even years, how is it possible that you can be shocked and blindsided? Sin all the way down the path to destruction hides the consequences from you. It hides from you how you've changed. If the very worst of consequences that I've mentioned to you never visit you in your own Straying from God, praise the Lord for that. But at the very minimum, when you start entangling yourself with another person, you change. You get secretive and defensive. You guard your cell phone very carefully. You become accusatory of the other person. You become quiet with your kids and you don't bring up topics that fully need to be addressed because you feel like a hypocrite yourself. And in doing that, you're pres- You're depriving your children of the very kind of wisdom and security that they should have. I'm telling you, the consequences are innumerable, and here's the point. They're not under your control. So be careful and stay away from sexual immorality. Look at verse 15. Here's God's provision instead, which is to cultivate the marriage instead of the affair. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern flowing water from your own well. 
Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Here he's going to break with poetry and tell you exactly what he's talking about. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's eyes are before, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Here's the trouble with all sexual sin. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. What's wisdom telling you now? It's telling you this, faithfulness is as sweet as adultery is bitter. Affairs that entangle men and women, that change them from the inside out, that hurl them off the cliff into all these consequences, they don't just happen. They're the results of timely temptations at vulnerable times and small steps down a sloping path which suddenly become a sheer precipice. Solomon says, God's provision against all that is to delight yourself and to cultivate your own marriage. A cistern or a well in Israel is a prized possession. It would keep a family safe and provided for for generations as long as it was guarded. And that would have been guarded very carefully for that family. That's the picture of sexuality in marriage. That if you stay faithful and you refuse to let yourself stray, aware that all of your ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and that you may think you're clever, but God at all times knows all the truth, if you will stay faithfully within your marriage, you can be intoxicated, literally in Hebrew. You can be led astray. You can be lost. You can be gone in the joy and the security of your marriage rather than the other person who leads you into these uncontrolled, predictable, unpredictable, disastrous consequences. Let me tell you why this is so important by using a very simple analogy. Probably the biggest challenge that we have as 21st century Americans in a theological, looking at it theologically, in other words, looking at the big picture of what's happening in our hearts as we hear the Word of God, I think probably our biggest challenge is not our stance on any particular issue, but whether we actually believe that this book, which tells us and shows us with good proof that it's the very Word of God, has the authority of God to tell us how to live our lives. We live in a culture where sex is so casual, so quick, so easy, where nudity and sexually explicit images that you can see on the internet and that you can send to somebody else with two or three clicks of a button are so rampant and so pervasive that we've welcomed all of these consequences into our lives and we still don't know what the harvest is going to be. If I could use this analogy, what God designed sex to be is something like superglue, 
something that is used in the right time at the right place bonds two things together so tightly that they can never come apart without doing harm to each. That's the biblical idea going all the way back to Genesis 2 when it was said that a man and woman would become one flesh. That's the idea, that there were two separate people, but now they are so tightly bonded together that they can't ever be separated again without harming both. The emotional connection that comes before and that accompanies sex in marriage is a pure gift from God to make something so special, so sacred, so private and pleasurable that it belongs only to the two of you and you don't take that well in those streams and spread them around the street. You don't share that with anybody else. But when you do, when you take our culture's cue instead, and explicit images can be sent casually because somebody asked for them, or you open yourself up emotionally to make comparisons with this other person who's such a good listener and so careful and so thoughtful and so smart and so secure financially, and you start making verbal and mental comparisons and comparing your own pain so that soon, given two or three months, you end up in bed together. That's bonding people together that have no place together. And superglue, if you've ever seen it, if you ever used it, it's great if you use it in the right place at the right time, but if you put it everywhere, it's a painful mess. We're living in the painful mess. The painful mess through the internet stalks your children. It's all wrapped up together. And early exposure to pornography makes every single person that is early exposed to it far more likely in their adult life to become unfaithful. People who use alcohol, the younger they use it, the more likely they are to become unfaithful. The less stable the family unit, the more absent the father is, the more likely each one of those children is to be unfaithful. Your flesh and the devil don't take breaks. They're cruel. He's the enemy of all that's good. That's why Jesus said He has come to steal and kill and destroy, and nothing will affect you more, give you more pain, and at the same time offer you greater joy and peace than doing this thing regarding sex and marriage the way God told us to do it. And in your old age, if you will walk faithfully with Him and resist every temptation and resist the lure of the culture and instead trust the authoritative voice of your heavenly Father, in your old age you'll be happy, you'll be peaceful, you'll be grateful, rather than filled with the remorse and regret that always comes. Between services, a couple in our church who I love dearly who nine years ago had adultery, nearly blow their marriage apart, told me between services, tell them in the second service that it's, I can't remember their exact words, tell them it's amazing what can do if you fast forward a few years. They're closer together, they're better Christians, they're more blessed in every way, including finances, which they mentioned, from the moment they took broken, shattered lives. I remember our first meeting well and took the pieces to Jesus and they've seen over the last nine years Him redeem their story, bring them together and make them some of the most useful, profitable, 
beautiful people in our entire church family. That's what Jesus can do. This is a severe warning. Let me point you to grace before we're done. Listen to David, whose adultery led to murder. Cry out to God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 1 John 1, 9, my favorite verse from probably from the time I was 14 years old. Would you read it with me? The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you guess what my favorite word in that beautiful verse is? All. No matter where it's taken you, no matter what it's cost you, the grace of Jesus can cover it. Here's how good our Savior is. Hebrews says He was tempted in every way just as we are, but without sin. That means that there were times in the life of God become a man, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, that He was tempted in His interior and exterior life to unfaithfulness, to disobedience to His heavenly Father. Every temptation you've ever faced, Jesus stared down and triumphed over, all of it. There's no temptation that can overcome you and that you can succumb to that He's not sympathetic to. He understands the weight of it. He understands the pressure of it. What He doesn't understand because He never succumbed is the pain of disobedience to God. And the beauty of His good news is He offers all of His holiness, all of His righteousness to cover all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt and wickedness. He's a beautiful, magnificent Savior. He is a perfect substitute for everything that's ever tripped you up. That's why his closest friend, the Apostle John, can say if we confess our sins, literally if we agree with him about our sins, if we say the same thing about our sins that he does, here's how he responds. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he died for all of it to cover all of it. He's a beautiful Savior. So if this has brought up some old pain, here's what you do with that. You turn from the pain and you run to Jesus. You receive grace and mercy in your time of need. If this has awakened you that you're on one of those 18 steps, you're making mental comparisons, you're fantasizing about it, what it might be like if your spouse died, very common in people who are considering adultery, how much better life would be if it were him, if it were her, if you find yourself, you alert yourself, you wake yourself up under the authoritative voice of God and say, God, I heard this in time, I'm sorry, I'm coming back if you're right in the middle of it and you can't stop looking at the internet or there's already another person, a real person in the world with whom you are emotionally or physically invested, you run to Jesus. If you need help, this church is a family of faith of forgiven sinners, sinners made into sons and daughters of God and there's nothing that has come to you but believe me, we collectively as a body do not understand. 
We've seen it all, we've been stung by it all, and we realize that Jesus is victorious over it all. You go to Him. You come to us in confidence for help. You'll find sympathetic, loving, godly help that can put your feet on a better, wiser path. Let's pray together. Lord, give us grace now to turn to You. Can I give you a moment, please, to be honest with God about how you're doing mentally, how you're doing on the internet? And while your heart is tender, resolve to yourself and to Him that you'll come under His authority. You'll seek His grace. Maybe you're right in the middle of it and you don't even begin to know where to put it back together where to find redemption. The Lord knows, and there's people here who would be honored and delighted to confidentially help you. Just go to Jesus and tell Him what it's really like. He's a sufficient Savior in all of that. Lord, we turn now to communion, a remembrance of Your death to cover all sin, to give all righteousness. Thank You. We receive this gratefully. We are not worthy of your sacrifice for us, aside from the fact that you have chosen to do, a, do this and love us in this way. You have chosen us, you have chosen, Lord, in Christ to make us saints and sons and daughters and beloved friends rather than people who are guilty and ashamed, who dare not let the truth about themselves be known. You know the truth and you love us still. You knew everything about us and sent Jesus to the cross so that sin would no longer stand between us. Thank you. Help us enter this service reverently and with deep gratitude that what we remember here today, your cross and your resurrection, cover it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.